Well, this morning, I want us to look together at part of Paul's sermon in Athens. So if you have a Bible, please turn with it to Acts chapter 17. And if, you, if we had been reading through Athens, we'd have been seeing Paul's progress from place to place. And, and one of the characteristics is wherever Paul goes, there seemed to be trouble. Not that he was an intentional troublemaker, he was a gospel preacher, but the reaction of the people often stirred up trouble. And the last place that he was in was Berea, where the crowds got all stirred up, and the believers, perhaps to preempt more trouble, escorted Paul to Athens. And this word escorted gives this sense that they're, they're keeping him out of trouble, <laughs> and they're trying to get him to a, a safe place. And uh, when they get there, they left with instructions for Paul and Silas to join him as soon as possible. And, and I wonder what their last words were. I imagine it was something along the lines of, just lay low, brother. Just take a bit of time out. Um, you know, it's been a frenetic time. Don't do anything until Barnabas and Silas get here. Binge on Netflix if you like, if they had Netflix. But keep quiet. But Paul has a passion, a passion for sharing the good news about Jesus that burns inside. So he goes around the city looking and praying. At first, I don't think he's speaking, but he's looking and praying. I wonder when you go on holiday, do you pray for the place that you go on holiday? I know most of us haven't been able to go on holiday for a couple of years now, but, but when we can travel again, if it's only Greece, do you pray for the Greeks? I just checked Operation World, and it said Greece was the first European country to be evangelized. But Christianity now is just a cultural expression for most. Less than 3% attend church. Less than 0.5% of the population are evangelicals. And many of those aren't actually Greeks. When you go to other places, if you go to Vietnam, we're happy to send you prayer materials. But I think that was what Paul was doing. In this place that was supposed to be a place of rest, he was praying, and his praying results in preaching, and his passion for sharing the good news of Jesus bursts out in a speech at the Areopagus. His introductory words are basically, I've been around your city, and I see that you are searching for God. Let me tell you about him. And this morning, starting with Paul's words, we're going to focus on God and five things about his purpose. The first thing that Paul says is the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He himself gives everyone life and breath. From one man he made all the nations. God who made us all, who made all the nations, and all the nations, of course, does not mean the 185 political nations that we have today, which of course are completely different to whatever existed politically in Paul's day. The word is pan-ethnos and is much closer to all the different ethnic people, the ethnos around the world. All of them in their glorious variety of color and culture and language. All of them, all of us, are existence to God. So everyone is equal. Everyone is part of the family 
of peoples that God has created. Everybody can trace our beginnings back to God as the Creator who made this man. And this should affect how we look at those around us, how we look at those who look different to us, who have a different skin color or a different way their hair grows, or no hair at all. They're all God's creation. We are all God's creation, made in His image, in a glorious variety, but in the image of God. And looking at people differently because of their differences has no place when we see that. And this is the first thing, that one God made all of us. The second thing that I see here is that God made us all migrants. Now, what is a migrant? As we've been focused on diaspora, we've done a lot of reading and thinking about migrants, and the simplest definition of an international migrant, which is used by most of the government agencies, and if you see statistics about migrants, this is usually the definition behind them. It's somebody living, usually for more than a year, in a country other than the country of their birth. And I'm tempted to ask you to stick up your hand if you're a migrant, but I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, and I'm not quite sure that this includes people who are born in England or Wales, whether we regard them as migrants or, or not. Um, I, I guess that could change, but at the moment, probably not. When I first started researching this, I, I realized one day I spent most of my life as a migrant living in the Philippines, living in Singapore, living in Vietnam. My children are migrants. They were all born in the Philippines and now live in the UK and uh, in the US. They are migrants. But of course, for most people, it is leaving the country where they were born, where they belong, where their family has been for generation, and living elsewhere. And some have called this the age of migration because there are so many people in this position around the world, nearly 300 million, and that's almost doubled in the last 20 years from 2000 to 2020, and it keeps increasing. COVID stopped the tourists. They all had to stay at home. But the migrants, because there's a push or a pull that keeps them going, they kept moving. And as our world keeps changing and as climate change gets worse, almost certainly that will involve more migration. We talk about migrants, we talk also of diaspora, and our focus is on diaspora, and, and just so you understand the two, diaspora is a bit bigger than migrants. The migrants are the people who are born elsewhere and moved to another country. The migrants includes the second and third generation that still have that sense of, I'm a whatever they came from, but were born here and live here and perhaps have a dual identity um, because of that. But what do I mean by God who made us to be migrants? Well, God's intention was that we should move. Paul says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And starting in one place, God's intention was that mankind would move out and fill the earth. And I was reading a report of a scientific journal just a few days ago of a paper published in Nature, Human Behavior. And the author was pointing out that humans of all species are uniquely good 
at adapting to different habitats. Very hot, very cold, very wet, very dry. Deserts, rainforests, the Arctic. You will find people there. Our species, he wrote, is the only one to have colonized the entire globe and all its environments. We have achieved it, he says, because we are culturally complex and behaviorally flexible, because we have a unique ecological plasticity. Did you know that? You can try that as a compliment on your next date. <laughs> Darling, you have a unique ecological plasticity. <laughs> But because of that, we became extraordinary migrators in the purpose of God. I think as Christians, we would say that because of the creativeness and adaptableness that God gave us, migration became possible. And this has been God's plan from the beginning. From the very beginning, God's purpose for us to be a people on the move. We know the story of the Garden of Eden, how God created the world and it was all good how God created man and woman and placed them in this beautiful garden, and it was very good. It was paradise. Then the man and the woman sinned, and they messed it up, and they were thrown out of the garden. And, and often we tend to assume, you know, if only they hadn't sinned, we'd still be living in the beautiful garden. But we haven't looked at what God has said, if we're thinking that, because He said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Fill the earth. God's plan was that we should start in the garden, but we should not stay in the garden. We were to move out. We were to move out in God's timing and in fellowship with God as His fellow workers. And we messed up all the, the latter bit, but we were to move out, out of the garden, into the world. And our ultimate destination is not back in the garden, but it's the heavenly city. We're on a pilgrimage from a garden to a city and populating the world in the meantime. So, even if we're not migrants ourselves, there are a sense in which we're all diaspora. We all came from somewhere. We're all descended from this one man and women, and even if we try and trace our, our own history, it's interesting as we've got more involved in this subject, people talk about indigenous people. But then I have conversations with people about the situation in this country, and they're talking about indigenous churches, and that means white British people. We're indigenous people. But we're not the original people. We're, we're a mix, aren't we? Um, Celts and Picts and Angles and Norse and Britons, and you can get into that and research your genealogy. But we're also, as God's New Testament people, God's chosen migrants. In the New Testament, we find one of the enduring images of the people of God is God's pilgrim people living here on earth, but aware that there is another dimension, aware this is a temporary dwelling place. So Peter addresses his first letter to God's elect, exiles, scattered. And I've looked at the various ways those opening words could be translated. The New American Standard Bible addresses those who reside as aliens, scattered. The New King James Version to the pilgrims of the dispersion. And I think a fair translation could be God's chosen migrants. So God who made us all, God who made us migrants, and, and the third thing is God who is himself a migrant. And a few months ago, I discovered a paper by a Vietnamese theologian, 
entitled Deus Migrator, or God the Migrant, and he was reflecting on people on the move, but also that a key characteristic of our God is that He is on the move, that He hasn't stayed home, but He has moved for our sakes. We found in Vietnam that people didn't know much about God. Relating to a creator God was not a significant part of their traditional religion or their worldview. Occasionally, it was possible to have vague ideas of a God they called Om Choi, or Mr. Sky, who had created the world but as a distant creator, far away and unconcerned for ordinary people. And there was echoes of that creator, but completely lacking the essential characteristic of the Christian God, that he is concerned. And I always love the words in Exodus where the Lord says, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down. God the Father comes down because he is concerned. And of course, in God the Son, God supremely comes down from his home in heaven and makes his home amongst us as a migrant to live in a completely different place for our sake. And even experiences many of those things that we see migrants suffering from as his family before he's even born are forced to trek with a very pregnant Mary because of some daft government rule. If you've ever dealt with migrants and their hassles with visas and daft government rules, uh, they have a lot of experience of this. And then, of course, his family has to flee to another country out of fear for their lives uh, in order to remain safe. So God who made us all, God who made us to be migrants, God himself who is, in a sense, a migrant, and God who has a purpose in migration, there are lots of things that push migration. Uh, people leave their countries because of war, because of famine, because of persecution, because of natural disaster, because of political chaos. And then there are the pull factors, because they see an opportunity for a better life or a better job or a nicer climate. Maybe not in Edinburgh, but in many parts of the world, uh, that's why they go, or to join their family. And much of it is, seems things beyond our control, and, and governments try to con control it, sometimes to encourage it, sometimes to oppose it, not always very successfully. But Paul says of this, from one man God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So all this movement of peoples is not out of his control. And not out of his purpose, Paul goes on to say, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. And all this movement of peoples, it gives an opportunity for people to discover Jesus that they would have not have got otherwise. If we look at the, the unreached peoples of the world, uh, the vast majority of, the, of, of those who are in the religious groups of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. That takes in about three billion of the world. 87% of them do not personally know a Christian. 
just personally, not, not even saying they don't have a Christian friend, they don't have a Christian anybody that they relate to. And in their context, it's very unlikely that they will. But then they come here to the UK, to Edinburgh, and the opportunities open up if we take them. That they meet a Christian, that they know a Christian, the Christian spends time with them. Take those opportunities because it can make such a difference. All kinds of people come here. When, when we were here many years ago now, we befriended a poor, lonely Filipina. And when we got to the Philippines, we found that her father was high in government and had all kinds of connections, but here she was just a poor, lonely Filipina. When I was here years ago, I remember visiting students from the Maldives. The Maldives are these beautiful islands in the Indian Ocean where people go for their holiday, but very difficult to actually get in amongst these strongly Muslim people. There are North Koreans here in the UK. I don't know about in Edinburgh. There certainly are in London and, and Oxford. It's a bit tricky to go to North Korea. Not, it's impossible at the moment, but not always impossible. And we have all these different nations. That's the top 60 countries of migrants in the UK. I don't know how well you can read them as they get smaller and smaller, but the most we have are Indians and Poles and then Pakistanis and Romanians. But the, the other category of all the rest is actually the largest of small numbers of innumerable nations. And part of movement is not just that they come here and they can make friends, but Often in the moving, there is a new openness to consider new ideas, to make new friendships, and all that they're used to is shaken a bit because everything is so different. And I think even if we think of, of the Old Testament, it is no coincidence that the times when Israel often seemed to learn the most were the times when they were on the move, or the times when they were in a foreign country whether it was Abraham on the move, or enslaved in Egypt, or wandering in the desert, or exiled in Babylon. It made them teachable, and it often makes these people teachable and more open. When Jesus taught his disciples, he taught them on the move. They didn't retreat to somewhere for three years. They moved around with occasional retreats, but learned on the move, and we have that opportunity. Let's take it. But it's also actually an opportunity for bringing Jesus. Because many of these Christians come, many of these migrants come from countries with lots of Christians. And perhaps they, they didn't come here to share the gospel. They came here because of the persecution or they came here because of the better job. But God uses that push to spread his good news. We see it in Acts, in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And this persecution, which looked bad, this scattering, which was almost certainly very painful, results in proclamation in sharing of this good news in places that they wouldn't otherwise have gone to. And we have people coming from countries with many more Christians. We have about 8% Bible-believing Christians. The Philippines has 13%. Korea has 17%. Brazil has 26%. Nigeria has 31%. But actually, most people are probably coming from 
Southern Nigeria, which has many more. Kenya, 49%. And they're coming to this country where, where our church has been shrinking. And our population has been departing from the gospel. But they come in with this vibrant faith. And maybe one of the ways in which God is rebuilding and reshaping the church in this country. Amory and I listened to a, a Korean pastor who had come to this country. Um, and he spoke passionately about diaspora Christians as the power pack that was going to recharge the British church. That's the kind of power pack that, that, that you buy so that when your car won't start, you can drag this out of the garage and, and give it the kickstart. I don't know if it's, if it's that, but we're seeing our church is changing. 20 years ago, 3% of the churches in the UK were diaspora churches. Now it is 10%. And Clive Calver, head of the Evangelical Alliance, says a quarter of UK evangelicals are not white. If you go into London, which is the place in the United Kingdom where the church has been growing the fastest, half of those who go to church are not white. And, and that is a beautiful expression of the nature of the worldwide church that is, that is coming to us. And, and of what we're looking forward to in heaven when we all gather from every tribe and every nation. But God is working. Somebody said, British Christians prayed for revival. When revival came, they said, what are all these foreigners doing here? God is doing many things in His purposes through migration. But finally, God, who calls some of us to be gospel migrants, to leave the place where we are born or the place that we call home and go to another place, a different place, perhaps a distant place, for the sake of the gospel, to become gospel migrants. You maybe have another word for these people. We used to call them missionaries, but missionary is a bit out of favor and the world carries a lot of baggage. And I know for ourselves in, in OMF, we've been focused on creative access countries where calling you a missionary doesn't help. Um, now we call them cross-cultural workers. But what are they crossing the cultures for? They're gospel migrants who move from one country to another, not because they're pushed by war or disaster or pulled by jobs or security, but because they're compelled by the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the push factor. And the people without Christ are the pull factor. And Paul, I think, was a gospel migrant, compelled by the Spirit, he says, compelled to preach, he says, unable to stay still, refusing to rest, but wanting to keep pressing on to the places where Christ was not yet known to make him known. And we still need more of those kinds of people today. And we see migrants on our TVs who've abandoned everything, who've risked everything to get a place. We still need people who are ready to leave behind the comfortable places where they feel at home. 
the warm places where they have lots of relationship with family and friends to take the good news of Jesus to people who haven't heard and will likely will never hear unless someone takes that good news to them. We have a fantastic opportunity with the people who are coming to Edinburgh and to this country and, and a great chance to reach those who are difficult to reach elsewhere. But don't let's fool ourselves that that is enough. There are many unreached peoples represented amongst the migrants in Edinburgh, but there are many that are not. We saw a film last night which highlighted isolated minorities in Ecuador. There, you're not going to find them here. I can think of ethnic minorities in northern Vietnam, millions of people, but I don't think you're going to find any of them in Edinburgh. If we want to see them reached, we're going to have to go to where they are. And, and even when there's a mass of people, honestly, if I told you that I was passionate about reaching the people of Scotland, and my main strategy for doing that was reaching Scottish people in London or Scottish people in New York, you would go, uh, really? <laughs> you're not coming to Scotland and you're passionate for the Scots to find Christ? Unless there was some compelling reason why I couldn't come to Scotland or I had to be based in London or New York, yes, take that opportunity, but still we need those people who will go be those gospel migrants to where the masses of unreached people actually are, to make our home in a strange land that is not our own land. To be gospel migrants like our God who came down for us. Like our Lord Jesus Christ who became one of us like the Apostle Paul, compelled by the Spirit, compelled to share the good news of Jesus Christ in all its fullness, that people from every different group of people around the world would come to follow Him. That's the vision. And God calls all of us to have a part in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're our creator, and in you we are all one people in glorious variety, but with the same origin. And we thank you that you're our redeemer, and you came down in your son Jesus Christ and dwelt among us that we might be restored to fellowship with you. And we thank you that you continue to move people around the world that they might hear this good news. Lord, help us to reach out to them and to take that opportunity. And when you call us, may we be willing and obedient to be some of those people who move out around the world to be your migrant people, to be your gospel migrants that all the world would hear the good news of Jesus. Amen.